Well, we're excited today. This is uh, the last Sunday of our Missions Advancement Week. It is our heart, amen, to see the fingerprints of the Grace Place all over the world. I, I want there to become a day where no matter where you went in the world, you could see the results. You could see the fingerprints of this church. Maybe it'd be uh, with, our, uh, with a missionary that, that we sponsor. Maybe it would be a vehicle that we've helped uh, purchase. Maybe a projector. I, I don't know, but just see some evidence that the Grace Place was there. What an exciting vision that we have. I'm so excited today to have uh, uh, Mr. Mission with us today. Tom Green, you cut him and he bleeds missions. He has done so much for missions the last uh, several years and just has a heart for missions. And he's also a good personal friend. Would you make my friend welcome? Brother Tom Green, come take your liberty in the Lord today. I couldn't. I just couldn't resist. I turned to those nearby. I said, "Boy, no, no pressure on that." When you've been labeled Mister Missions, I don't know if that's good or bad or ugly. But nevertheless, well, I didn't talk about me personally. Okay, let's not go there. But it's great to be with you today. It's great to experience what God is doing at the Grace Place. It really is. How exciting! I got a personal tour of the new building last night. Pastor brought me through here, and I walked through every square inch and just had the time of my life. And I'm here to say thank you, congratulations. I will tell you this. I believe with all of my heart what we're experiencing on this property today is a total gift from heaven because this church puts missions first. Always has. It's the heartbeat of this congregation. Pastor, when you said we want our fingerprints around the world, it just struck me. Anytime any of your colleagues look at you and say, so how many do you have in attendance on a weekly basis? The answer is 67 million. Well, I don't know. Our pastor, he's not known to exaggerate. <laughs> that, that's no exaggeration. The church that we're a part of, this movement known as the Assemblies of God, 100 years ago there were 300 people that gathered in a rented opera house in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Most of them had received the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time in their lives. The next thing they received was a goodbye notice from their congregation. If you're going to practice that, you're not going to be a part of this. But word started getting out that God, by His Spirit, was sweeping across the nation. Those 300 people gathered. The last thing they wanted to do was start a denomination. They had just been kicked out of theirs. But they decided with the power of the Holy Spirit given to us, as in the first chapter of the book of Acts, the second chapter of the book of Acts, we can do together what no other generation has ever done. They got back six months, to get, six months later together, penned these words. We commit ourselves to the greatest evangelism the world has ever known. <laughs> now, I got to thinking about that. I, I did a little bit of family study on this. But actually, my wife did. She's kind of into our family tree. I'm the nut that fell out of the tree, okay? But, but she's kind of into our family tree. We discovered that three of those original 300 people, actually two of them were my grandparents, my great-grandparents. There was a little toddler in their arms who would later become my grandmother. I'd give anything if I had known that while they were still alive and could have interviewed because even though they committed themselves to the greatest evangelism in the world they would ever know, do you think they could have possibly imagined that those 300 people 100 years later would be more than 300,000 churches around the world, more than 67 million believers, somebody coming to Christ every 16 seconds and a new church starting every 14 minutes? 
That's what we're a part of. That's the reason I say every missions dollar pastor that this church gives, every missionary that you've invested in, North Texas is one of the greatest mission sending places in the world, and because of it, you're a part of it. Well, so how many did you have last week? Well, 67 million, but we're working toward 100 million. Why is that? Because our success is not measured by the first 67 million. It's those that have yet to be reached. And it's because of them that we're gathered in this place today. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the 18th chapter of the book of John? John, chapter number 18. Pastor, thank you for letting me be with you and your lovely lady and the family. And what a blessing it is to be with your staff and congregation. I get to be in a different place every week. They, after you've heard me preach, you'll understand. They don't let me stay anywhere two weeks in a row. Last week, I had to suffer for Jesus in southern Alabama, just a stone's throw from the Gulf Coast. You do what you have to do for the kingdom. I live in Springfield, Missouri, and sometimes we refer to it as the state of misery because uh, it's not always as pretty as it is further south. And uh, my wife was really excited when I told her it was 85 degrees where I was and it was 35 where she was. But nevertheless, our marriage survived it. But we're a part of something that is so much bigger than any one individual, so much bigger than any one family, and we're excited to be a part of that. Do me a huge favor, and I, I think we can do this. I'm only going to read one verse. I, it's, it's my typical tradition to have you stand right here, but the truth is today we're kind of more in a little bit of a business mode. We're, we're going to be concentrating on what our faith promise is for the coming year. Some in the congregation have already been a part of this for some time. If you've been attending the Grace Place really for more than a year, I know that you've already been a part of a service like we're doing here. Some, you've been doing this for many years. You've been involved in missions giving. Others uh, that are brand new to the church, maybe new to the kingdom. This is the first time you've ever uh, been asked to commit to a monthly uh, part of what God's doing through this missions ministry. Now, well, let me just tell you this. Would you take the, the faith promise card that's sitting uh, in your seat, uh, maybe under you at this point, or certainly next to you, but I'd like to ask that every person, at least every family, take this card, hold it in your hands for just a few moments. There's several things that I want to emphasize to you as to what a faith promise is not. For those of you that are fully aware this has been an exciting part of your life for a long time, just bear with me for a few minutes as we try to share uh, the, the, the exciting part of faith promise missions giving. What it's not is your tithe, okay? Pastor said this a few minutes ago. I had the honor of leading a national ministry of youth ministries called Speed the Light. For those that may not be aware, Speed the Light provides every car, truck, and sound system that, are, that more than 3,500 of our missionaries use around the world. It's absolutely incredible. I would have businessmen that would say, so what do you do for a living? When I was the Speed the Light director, if you didn't know them, you didn't say, well, I'm a Speed the Light director. What is that, like a head electrician or something, you know? And so, uh, uh, but, uh, so I would just say, well, it's my job to challenge students across America to give so we can buy cars and trucks and sound systems for missionaries. And, and they would always look at me and say something weird like, well, that's kind of strange, asking teenagers to do that. And then one day it struck me, who has a greater appreciation for cars, trucks, and sound systems <laughs> than the American teenager, Right. Their car or truck is their sound system. You may be too old to hear it, but you can feel it for blocks, okay? So it just, uh, that's kind of the way it works. And so, uh, but that said, here's my point in all of that. When I was served as Speed the Light Director, anytime I get to speak to students, even to this day, I always tell them, your tithe does not go to Speed the Light. 
we don't want missionaries driving stolen vehicles. The first 10% of your income belongs in this local church, and it doesn't get any better. Even if it weren't scriptural to invest one dime out of every dollar in the only hope this world has, that's a pretty good investment. So thank you for your tithe. But that's not, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Your faith promise is not your tithe. Your faith promise falls in that offering category. It's above the tithe. It's simply saying, Jesus, you know what? You've been good to us, and I, I want to be a part of what you're doing around the world. So how can we do that? Well, that's what we hold in our hands today, that at the close of the message, we'll be filling it out together under pastor's leadership. What else is a faith promise? Well, the second thing a faith promise is not, it is not a pledge. A pledge is like a debt incurred. I mean, you know, I, 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 I thank God I haven't had to learn the hard way yet, but guess what? You don't make the car payment, what happens? You lose the car. You don't make the house payment, you're going to be looking for a place to live. Those, those, are, those are pledges. That's, that's a commitment that I will make. A faith promise, well, it doesn't work that way. If for some reason you don't make your faith promise on a monthly basis, the pastor doesn't show up at your door and say, all right, we're here to repossess your children. <laughs> You're not going to get rid of them that easy. So anyway, it, uh, no, no. A faith promise, by pure definition, faith, the substance of things hoped for. In other words, today we're going to dream a dream. Faith promise says it's not based on what I have. If it's, if it's based on what I can afford, then it takes no faith to do that. It's, it's simply hearing the voice of God, and we write down on the piece of paper what we believe that he's asking us to do, and then we trust him. And the pledge part of it is it really comes down to that word promise. It, it's just simply saying, guess what? I promise as God provides, I'll give it. So today we're going to dream the dream. There's no pressure. You write down what you feel like that God is speaking to you. It allows the church and the leadership of the church for them to dream the dream. And when the commitments have the opportunity of helping missionaries or projects or different needs around the world, well, it happens through our faith promise giving. And I can tell you this, if you've never been involved in this before, on a personal note, a very personal note, one of the greatest moments of my life was in the early days of our marriage when my wife and I sat in a place similar to this, not as beautiful as this, but it was the first time we had ever been asked. And I don't mind telling you, at that time I was a youth pastor in a local church, and I was just getting wealthy, knocking down $500 a month. And when God spoke to me and he said, write down $50 a month, I've never, am I the only person in this room that's ever had to explain to God in his confusion? I said, God, I think you missed something. That's my tithe. Evidently, your math isn't as good as mine. Tom, you talk to God that way? Yeah, that's why he tells me, Green, shut up. So anyway, and, and uh, but he was speaking to me to do that. Well, quite frankly, we were at a time when I was trying, I'm trying to fight, find a way to feed the baby, you know, and take care of things. But God spoke to my heart. We believed for it. I won't tell you all the details of such, but I can tell you that was the beginning of what has been a 40-year exciting adventure just to see miracle after miracle after miracle as he has provided that I could be a blessing to others. And I believe the beginning of that adventure may be true for some in this room today. Well, I asked you to turn to the 18th chapter of the book of John, and it's going to be rather simple today. Verse 37 in that chapter, 
As a matter of fact, as we approach Easter, I think we're going to ponder these words over the coming week. Pastor, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. When you talked about next Sunday being Easter Sunday, and, uh, and then uh, when you were talking uh, or when uh, your associate was talking about do whatever it takes to, to make sure we got parking space and if you have to carpool and everything. I had a pastor several years ago. He called me, and he wanted to do a mission service on Easter Sunday. And I tried to talk him out of it. I said, Don, you can't do that. People are going to be upset with you. He said, what are you talking about? I said, that's Easter Sunday. You'll have people in church that never come any other Sunday. And then to be talked about missions, giving and everything, they're going to be so upset with you. You'll have people angry all over the building. People that, Easter Sunday's the only time they come. His immediate response, he said, don't worry about it. They'll have till Christmas to get over it. You can translate that any way you want to, okay? But make sure that your friends get here next week. Praise God. 37th verse, Pilate therefore said to Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you stood there that day. You could have called the armies of heaven. But Jesus, because you willingly laid your life down on the cross of Calvary, three days later came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Today we celebrate that heaven is our destination when we've accepted that gift. Lord, today we pause in behalf of those around the world that have yet to hear that story even the first time. Help us, Jesus, to understand that today we literally hold in our hands Through a faith promise opportunity, Lord, we hold in our hands what could be the key that opens the doors of heaven to those that are waiting in darkness. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us in these next few minutes to be sensitive to what you desire to say to all of us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Pilate must have been an extremely intelligent person. Now, you may have your own opinion of this guy, and sometimes we kind of look through the lens of, well, we can't stand him, and he just obviously didn't like Jesus. No, 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 bear with me for just a moment. I think Pilate is probably in a situation he didn't ask for. He'd rather not be there. The the truth is it's, it's the people, well, it's others that have called for this momentous occasion. He's standing in front of Jesus. When I say that I think Pilate was a pretty smart guy, one of the things that he, he was probably pretty smart about is he was wise enough to understand that when your wife speaks, you better listen. Ladies, that was a really good opportunity for a hearty amen right there. You've got to understand, remember, Pilate's wife has already warned him. She said, basically, you better not have anything to do with this guy. I've had this dream about him. This is not going to end well. Do whatever you've got to do. I'm, I'm probably extending the words a little bit, but in a private conversation, I can see a wife saying, buddy, you better get him out of your courtroom as quickly as you can because this is just not a good thing. It is not going to end well. Therefore, and pardon me, it's, it's my translation of the moment. It's, it's simply my imagination. Maybe this is what 30 years of youth ministries will do to your brain. But, but I, I, I see Pilate standing before him as a man who has tried to wisely figure out how to sweep this thing out of his courtroom and not have to worry about it. You see, when he looks at Jesus and he says, Now, all right, now you, they tell me that you're a king. Are you a king? I happen to believe that this 
may be Pilate's way of saying to Jesus, you know what, if you'll just look at me and say, I don't think so, do I look like a king? Where did you hear such a thing? I, I, I can't imagine anybody even accusing me of that. If Jesus would have just denied his question that moment, then Pilate could have probably very easily said, well, it's his word against yours, case dismissed, get him out of my courtroom. But Jesus blows it apart. He says, so is it true? Are you a king? And Jesus, his immediate response, you say rightly that I'm a king. But then he goes on and he says, for this cause, for this purpose I was born, for this cause I came into the world. It's a pretty significant moment in your life when you discover what God created you to do. Life can be pretty miserable. Life can be pretty lonely when you feel like, that. well, your only purpose in life is just somehow to get the next paycheck and be able to put a roof over the head. And, and so, but, it, but it's a pretty significant moment when you discover, for this cause, I was born. For this purpose. I didn't come here to talk about necessarily the perfect will of God in people's lives, but let me tell you something. The will of God is not just whether we're called to pastor or not or whether we're called to be a missionary or not. I believe with all of my heart God calls electricians and God calls those that are committed into the business world and God calls those that are garbage collectors. You just let them not come by for about 30 days. You'll believe that God's call is upon their life. It's a pretty significant moment. Someone once said that when you discover God's plan for your life, you'll never have to work a day in your life because it becomes a pure joy in life. And, well, I stand before you today as a matter of a personal testimony. In seconds, I can, I can tell you what my, well, the day that I discovered God's plan for my life. I was born and raised in this thing. I'm, again, I'm not sure that's right or wrong, but I, I've never had a time in my life that I wasn't taken to the house of God. I had parents that were faithful to the house of God, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Back in those days, if we had three and four and five weeks of revival, our family was there every night, every week. It didn't matter what the, what the cost was to be there, the, the price that you had to pay. Well, we were faithful to the house of God. But growing up in church doesn't necessarily mean that things come easy. I had I'd spent much of my life and it just frustrated trying to figure out what God's plan for my life was. And my personal testimony, I was in my second year of college preparing for whatever degree along the way. And i got to tell you, I'm entering into my fifth semester and I'm just trying to figure out, I don't know how this is going to happen. And Jesus, you're going to have to help me because I, I got tired of, of listing undetermined as my major. I mean, I listed several majors along the way. My first semester of accounting let me know that was not God's plan for my life. Finally, it was a Sunday night. pastor invited us into the altars. I have no idea what the pastor preached on. I don't know if it had anything to do with the will of God. But I was getting ready to start that next semester, and out of frustration, I crawled into an altar, and I said, Jesus, I can't leave here until I know what you want me to prepare myself to do. Now, I had two grandmothers that called me to preach when I was just a child. They would introduce me as their little preacher boy. So I spent the first number of years of my life denying their call on my life. I didn't want to be grandma called. 
I literally grabbed that altar. I started through my list. Now, I had not put together a physical list, but it was in the back of my mind. I began offering God everything that I would be willing to do. I offered him everything from dentist to garbage collector and in between. I mean, doing everything I can, saying, God, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And, and it's like I'm making an offer to the creator of the universe, and then one day, from one moment, he's just going to say, that's it. I came to the end of the list. Literally, the end of the list. And I know that this isn't very, it's not a nice representation of a person's character. I just simply said, Jesus, I suppose if I had to, I would even preach. When I did that, it was like Niagara Falls hit my eyeballs. I knew that I knew. I became an emotional basket case. I was so overwhelmed. And so at that moment, it was like I could have very easily, for this cause, I was born. I was so excited. I, I got home from church that night. Now, my parents were not in church on that Sunday night. They had raised me to be faithful to the house of God, but my mother was in the middle of a, of a battle for her life with cancer, and uh, this illness had kept her home that evening, and I walked in the house, and I didn't want to bother her or my dad, and I just ran to my room, closed the door, and finally... In a second, my, wife, my mother was knocking on that door, and my mother, well, she didn't wait for me to say, come in. She said, what is wrong with you? Still in my emotions, in between heaves of tears, I said, Mom, I think Jesus called me to preach tonight. My mother looked at me, and she said, why don't you go on to sleep? Maybe things will be better in the morning." Things didn't get better in the morning. I went to the breakfast table. My dad lowered the newspaper, and he looked at me, and these were the first words out of his mouth. I realized I had been told on. He said, I always wanted better for my son. Now, before you enter into judgment of my parents, please remember they raised me to be faithful to the house of God. They raised me to love Jesus. My dad was a, a preacher's son. His, his father had been a Pentecostal preacher. Well, he was a holiness preacher. I, I remember one time saying, Grandpa, are you against? And he said, yes. He said, I didn't get to finish my question. He said, that's all right, son. I'm against everything. <laughs> my dad was raised in the holiness home of a Pentecostal preacher. He wasn't opposed to that part. What he didn't like was... Well, he had lived with a father that basically had spent his life scratching out a living because, you see, in those days, the concept was, Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. My dad was very sincere when his next words were, Son, you probably ought to go on and get that marketing degree because you're going to need something to fall back on when you fail. Living in rebellion, I pursued God's plan for my life and Contrary to what you believe, I actually still, well, at least I attempt being a preacher. Because I knew that I knew, and in those early days of ministry when everybody was excited, others were excited God had called me to preach, just not in their pulpit. For two years, I had no place to preach. I, I, would, I would take the three-year-old Sunday school class and preach a three-point message to those toddlers took a Royal Ranger group, and I had never lit a campfire in my life because it was an opportunity. Why? Because for this... Now, please miss, don't misunderstand. I, I thought we came here to talk about missions today. Oh, yes, absolutely. 
You see, we all have our mission in life. You're looking at a person who, as Pastor said, I I, I thank you. I think that's the first time I ever had the title of Mr. Missions, but I I think it's related. I have an undying passion for missions. I live it. I breathe it 24-7. It's it's everything within me. It's my but but you know what? Occasionally people will actually introduce me as their missionary of the day. And this is our guest missionary. And the reality is I'm not the missionary. In the words of John the Baptist, I'm not worthy to even loose the shoes. You see, while I share with you that moment in my life when I feel like God made it very real to me, for this cause I was born, I believe with all of my heart, every missionary that this great church supports on a monthly basis, you could march them one after another to this platform. It would require absolutely no preparation. There's not a missionary on this planet that couldn't momentarily tell you of the moment that God placed something in their heart. It may have been in a children's church service. It may have been in a missions emphasis week like this. It may have been on a college campus. It may have been in a variety of places. It may have been in the darkness of their own room. It may have been driving down the street. But there was a time in their lives when they discovered for this cause they were born to go to the far reaches of this planet, to share the love of Jesus with those that are waiting in darkness, to be able to do whatever it takes if it's teaching in the Bible schools all around this world, if it's preaching in the public arena, if it's handing out God's word on a person-by-person basis. These are the heroes of our faith that have committed themselves for this cause I was born. Jesus gave one responsibility to his church. He said, you take this gospel to every creature. Thank God for those heroes. And tell me, let me tell you something. I don't overwork the word heroes when I refer to missionaries as my heroes. That happens to be, well, I've, uh, there are others that uh, kind of get up there, but nobody gets any higher than the missionary. Why is that? Because these are those who are willing to give up every other opportunity, perhaps the dreams of the great American dream. They're willing to go and pay the price. And if it's the, in the tough streets of the, some of the major metropolitan areas of the world, it may be in the far reaches of the jungle areas of Southeast Asia. It may be in the darkness of Africa. It may be in the coldness of Europe. It may be in the fires of Pentecost that are raging across South America. But these are the heroes of the faith. My heroes can't slam dunk basketballs those aren't my heroes I admire them but I could slam dunk a basketball if I'm standing on the right table my heroes are not those that are elected to public office well I, I won't go there I pray for our those as God's word mandates that we do My heroes will never have their names in Hollywood lights. As a matter of fact, many of my heroes go nameless on a daily basis, believing that God, they can look in the face of God himself for this cause I was born, for this cause I've given myself, and they commit themselves to a lifetime of doing such. Now, the next part I'd give anything if I really didn't have to go into, but I, I think it's something we need to deal with publicly those heroes of the faith quite frankly are not always treated as heroes we use terminology like the heroes welcome we use terminology like the praise of heroes we use terminology that well we put our heroes on a pedestal 
Those heroes are not always treated as they should be. Not everybody has the love for our missionaries and the, the ministries like your pastors do. Not everybody embraces the ministry of our missionaries as this church does. On too many occasions, our heroes, well, they're, they're, many of them, they're, they, they're, they're required to do certain things that they're not necessarily called to do. A person who's effective in the jungles of Africa isn't necessarily effective standing in front of a congregation representing a budget that they have to raise in order to get there. I've got some of my heroes that sometimes they'll call 20 and 25 times trying to get a return call from local leadership. And Well, I've got to be honest with you, that doesn't sound like a hero to me that you can't even get a return call. I've got heroes that struggle in putting together their monthly budget to be able to do what God has called them to do. Well, Tom, how much is that monthly budget? At last report, most of our missionaries on average are about $8,200 per month. I'm hesitant to say that publicly because the next response is most of us in the room would go, I wish I made that kind of money. No, that's not what our missionaries make. That's the budget to do what God has called them to do. We stand in front of a gas pump complaining because it's $2 and some per gallon while there are people in other parts of the world spending 8 and $9 per gallon. We can complain because of the cost of our food. There's places in the world you could have $100 bills in your pocket, but if it's not there, you can't buy it. I'm not here to poor mouth. I'm not here to make you feel sorry for our heroes. I am here to represent that there's something that challenges our heroes doing what God has called them to do, and it's too often that obstacle called the monthly budget. But for this cost, not raising the budget. Pastor, it was about two years ago, my wife and I had been invited to sit down at a table with several missionary couples, and I had just embarked on a new adventure in my life, and I've pretty much committed myself to doing what I'm doing today, and it was there less than 60 days after I had made that transition in my life that God sealed something in my heart. Well, this is what my call is. This is for this moment in my life, for this cause, I was born. My wife was sitting next to one of our missionary wives. She was a very sweet lady. I knew of them. I did never, had never met them before that day. I, I knew their names. I knew what country they were committed to, but I really didn't know anything beyond that. I'm involved in the conversation with her husband on the other side of me, my wife involved in the conversation here. I shouldn't have done it. I really didn't on purpose, I promise, but I overheard the conversation that my wife and this dear lady were having, and suddenly I heard the missionary's wife voice break and well, my wife had asked her the question, so how long are you going to be home? And she was thinking, what a blessing it is to be home. And the missionary's wife very quickly replied, oh, I'd give anything if we could go back today. Well, my immediate thought was, well, that's the heart of a missionary. That's their home. Wherever God has called them, that, and it is. That's, that's reality, but that was not the motivation. Pam said, well, is there anything that I can pray with you about? She said, oh, just pray for me to have strength. She said, we're in the middle of our itineration time, which is that, for lack of a better word, it's the fundraising time of a missionary that has the responsibility of putting that together. But these were the words that came out of her mouth that penetrated me like a dagger. She said, Pam, you don't know me, and I'll regret telling you this later, but please pray. 
sometimes I just get feel I just feel overwhelmed. I'm tired of being a beggar. I overheard that conversation, quite frankly. I didn't think that much about it. Until the following Sunday morning, Pastor, I was preaching in northern Illinois. I got to the third point of my message, and <sighs> this preacher failed <laughs> because I broke up emotionally. It overwhelmed me. And I'm sure that nobody in the building had any idea what I was talking about, but there was that another moment where I discovered for this cause I was born. God's called me to be the beggar so our heroes don't have to be. Uh-oh. That sounds to me like the preacher's getting ready to really start talking about money. I hate it when preachers talk about money. I don't like that. Folks, let me put your mind at ease. That's all I'm going to talk about the rest of this message. Why is that? Because these missionary heroes, they've got the same horrible habits we have. They like to eat. Some of you right now already say, when's the guy going to shut up? I'm ready to go eat. Our missionaries have some of the same horrible habits. They think that it's their responsibility to provide a roof over their head of their children. They like to provide an education. Most of our countries of the world, an education is not as simple as it could be here. Certainly not as inexpensive. You may complain about the taxes, but do your work around the other side. Well, anyway, I go on and on and on. You see, young people, we thank you for buying the speed the light vehicles, but they require gasoline. The expense of buildings and arenas and all the responsibilities of touching our world and on and on and on. Well, it, it really comes down to this. For this cause, they were born. For their cause, we were born. <laughs> and then let's be honest about it. We've got the easy part. Nobody's ever spit in my face as a preacher. I'm, I'm sure they spit on the ground and said he calls himself a preacher. I don't understand that. but uh, Nobody's ever slapped me around. Nobody's ever threatened my life. Nobody's ever blown up a building that I've preached in. We've got the easy part. Today we come into a beautiful building. We sit in an air-conditioned place. We bow our heads in a few moments. We attempt to hear the voice of God, Jesus, what would you ask us to do? And without hesitation, hopefully we're obedient because the Scripture is very, very clear. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I'll be honest, sometimes obedience demands sacrifice, but always the first part is obedience, hearing the voice of God. Here I am, Lord. Send me. But when He he doesn't send us. He uh, gets us involved in doing what God has called us to do. One pastor put it this way. When it comes to missions, you've got one of three options. You either go, you send, or you disobey. 
What's that all about? The the Great Commission was not just for the 3,500 Assemblies of God missionaries. The responsibility of taking this gospel to every creature is not just those that can stand on a platform and proclaim the Word of God, even through the mouth of a translator. The things that God has called all of us to do is to see that every person on the planet would have the opportunity to know what we know, to experience what we've experienced, to understand that the same God that stood before Pilate that day did so for us that we might have eternal life and that we might know life more abundantly even while here. How can we possibly do that? We have the honor. We have the privilege. We hold in our hands a card that says we get to be the senders. We get to be those that not only come proclaim them to be our heroes, but we show them to be our heroes. A few minutes I'll ask you to bow your heads and hear the voice of God and trust Him and it's actually pretty simple. I had one guy tell me, he said, Tom, I learned a long time ago, it's usually the first thing God says to me. Because the first thing God says to me is usually the highest amount. You see, I've been known to try to fuss with God and explain to Him, again, as I stated earlier, but, uh, well, I, I've never had a better illustration of it in my life. I was speaking at an event in southern Mississippi, I don't mean to offend anybody in this room, but I was in the major metropolitan area of Escatapa, Mississippi. A young man came up to me and began speaking in a language I didn't fully understand. He had, he had a deeply southern brogue. But it wasn't just his southern brogue. It was the fact that he was speaking so quickly, and at the same time he was bouncing around and going all kinds of different directions. And finally I literally had to grab him physically. I didn't, I, I didn't abuse him, but I just said, hey, just settle down long enough that I can hear what you're saying. He looked at me and he said, Brother Tom, I think tonight is the most exciting night of my life. I said, wow, that's fantastic. He said, for one thing, I think it's the first time in my life that God ever talked to me. I said, what did he tell you? He said he told me that I could give $1,000 to missions this year. He said, you want to know how I'm going to do that? I'm looking in the face of a 16-year-old young man who's telling me that God has told him that he's going to give $1,000, not raise it, he's going to give $1,000 to missions this year. Now, that may not seem to be all that much to many of us in this room, but in his mind, it might as well have been tens of thousands. But he was so excited because you see, in a very real sense, when God spoke to his heart, that young man, he didn't use these words, but it was like, for this cause I was born. It suddenly his life became more important than the next pair of jeans that are torn in all the right places. Suddenly his life became more important than a car on his 16th birthday. He said, you want to know how I'm going to do that? I said, man, you better tell me. He said, I got this job. I make $100 a week. The glimmer in his eyes, you would have thought that he was the leader of Microsoft. I make $100 a week. He said, I pay $10 a week tithe. (laughs) Pastor, I go back to that. That young man had already learned what too many adults have never figured out. He didn't say I give it. I pay it. It's not mine. Well, I better get back to this part. He said to me, he said, uh, I got to thinking if I gave $20 a week for the next 50 weeks, that would be $1,000. Now, at that point, I got excited. Why is that? Not for the $1,000. I was standing in front of an American teenager that could multiply. 
No calculator, no keyboard. No iPad in his head. He said, do you know what that means? I said, man, you better tell me. He said, that means I get to keep $70 a week just for me. We adults would rather talk about everything that preacher asked us to give up for Jesus. I'm so abused. Do you have any idea what I've sacrificed? You know what I've sacrificed for spending the last 40 years paying my tithe and giving my offerings? I've probably given up seven or eight bankruptcies. Because my God supplies all my need according to His riches and glory. But that promise has no validity if I don't follow His plan. But do you understand what I've given up? I've probably given up three or four marriages. Because when she said, till death do us part, my wife believed it. I'm sure she wonders, but nevertheless. Preacher, do you understand how expensive life is? Oh, yeah, I stand at the gas pump. <laughs> what I've discovered is Americans, we usually figure out a way to come up with it. When it was $4 a gallon, we complained, but we paid it. The only alternative is exercise. We're not into that. We got to have the car to get to the restaurant so we can eat. Please don't misunderstand me. I know that it's not a lap of luxury for most people. But the fact that we'll have something to eat at lunch today, we're better off than most of the people of this world. To whom much is given. Well, it's time for this preacher to shut up and get out of the way because you know what? The most important part of this day is to hear the voice of God, not what I have to say. I close with her words today, and I was hesitant. Pastor, you kind of freed me up to share a story that I've told on a number of occasions. But I've never had anybody rip my heart out in understanding what I get to do in this kingdom. Her name was Amber. Still is, I suppose. <laughs> Just thought of Adam. When I first met her, she was 16 years old. I, evidently, I had encountered Amber one year before. I was in their church in southern Georgia. I had challenged the young people to set personal goals for the ministry of Speed the Light. and I told a story about a young person that had given $1,000, and Amber later told me that she was bowing her head and saying, Jesus, do you think I could give $1,000 this year? And, and she said that I think I heard God say, no. Most of us adults at that point would go, thank you, Jesus. She said he told me to write down $5,000. Now, Amber was not from a wealthy family. Amber was living with her grandmother, who was living on Social Security. Why is that? Because her mother was an alcoholic, could not provide for her daughter. To this day, Amber doesn't know who her daddy is, so Amber was not a person of resource, but she was a person of obedience. She said, I wrote it down. You had told us it's a faith promise, and I wrote it down, and I said, uh, Amber, what were you thinking when you 
well, you heard Jesus say $5,000. I love 15-year-old wisdom. She said, well, my first thought was, Jesus, is that you? <laughs> no, no, it gets better. Then she said, and then I thought, I don't think the devil would ask me to give $5,000 to missions. When I met Amber, it was a year later, she had given over $5,400 to missions. She had set a $10,000 goal as a 16-year-old. And I said, Amber, you're 16, you're going to want a car now. To which she replied, oh, Brother Tom, I could never afford a car. But that year she gave $9,200 to missions. Pastor, she didn't make her faith promise, which was 10000 What a loser. No, that's the joy of the faith promise. Even if we don't make it, we did better than we ever imagined we possibly could sometimes. But I'll close with her words. I said, Amber, what you're doing cannot be based on emotions. Something is going on. What's that? And these were her words. She looked at me and she said, oh, Brother Tom, it's your fault. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you're the guy who told us that every time our heart beats, somebody else's heart stops. It's true. About every 60 seconds, more than 100 people slip into eternity. She said, you're the one who said, except they're born again, they don't get to go to heaven. I said, no, 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 Amber, Jesus said that. She said, well, you're the one who told me. She added two and two, and she said, I lay in my bed every night. I put my finger on my pulse, and I count. Somebody just went to hell. Somebody just went to hell. On the fourth, somebody just went to hell. She raised her eyes and she said, Brother Tom, I just figure somebody ought to do something to stop it. Wait a minute. For this cause he was born. For his cause our missionary heroes were born. I think maybe I misstated something to you. It's not for their cause we're here today. It's for the cause of those that are perishing, having never heard. Somebody's got to do something to stop that. Is it doesn't get any simpler. We get to be that someone. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Jesus, thank you. Lord, I know that According to the Great Commission, it's not a suggestion. I'm fully aware, Lord, that this is a commitment that you've put your people to, Lord. We commit ourselves to that. Today we celebrate our missionaries, the, the heroes of our faith, of our modern-day faith that have committed themselves. But Lord, if there's anyone in this room that gets the idea that this preacher has somehow made it a unbearable obligation. Lord Jesus, would you erase that in our hearts today and help us to understand we get to be a part of the greatest evangelism this world has ever known. And yet they continue to perish for a lack of knowledge. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice today. God, if we can just understand the simplicity of a young southern Mississippi boy that said, I just believe that's what Jesus asked me to do. Lord, help us, each one in this room, to be sensitive to that still, small voice. 
Folks, I'd like to ask you to keep your heads bowed for a few moments. Please, no one moving around unless it's an absolute emergency. Pastor is going to come and take this microphone and lead us into what, quite frankly, although next week the building will be jam-packed, and it doesn't get any more exciting than Christmas season and on and on and on. But let me tell you something. As far as impact on the world and the multiple millions, there's not a more important Sunday than what's happening right now in this place at this moment. So with heads bowed, I, this is going to seem a little unusual. Feel free to open your eyes and look at that faith promise that you hold in your hand. When we fill it out, this is simply a matter. You don't need to put all the information. If you're a regular giver here at the church, they've got your address. That's not totally necessary. What is important is that we hear from God and be willing to write down the amount. Everyone can do something. Others can do more. And yet others can do really significant. I'm hesitant to say that because the reality is when we know that we know for this cause, we've heard the voice of God. No matter the amount, if you've been obedient, that is the significance of this moment. Together, we all get to be a part of the miracle that's going to happen through the Grace Place in this coming year. I sat at a table with your pastor last night. I heard the dreams. He was very clear with what God has laid upon his heart. I'm convinced this morning is the beginning of the miracle of missions beyond anything we ever imagined, beyond anything we ever thought. Pastor, would you come and lead your people in this most sacred of moments as we fill out our faith promises and trust God for His touch.